Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Dan Lobby. And this is Mary Kay Cabot. And this is the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, which as you know is brought to you by Sibling Revelry Brewing, a family of award-winning beers made right here in Ohio. And a little bit later in the podcast, I'm going to have a bunch of events that they are having, uh, tastings, things like that. And Mary Kay, you've got something to add too. And I ran into... Sean Kennedy, the owner owner of Sib Rev Brew today on my right. walk in Rocky River. So that was kind of awesome. a, a little lucky happenstance. <laughs> well, there you go. They're everywhere. Um, <laughs> but Sibling Revelry Brewery, uh, again, thank you for sponsoring us as always. And I'll, uh, I'll have a list of events and some things that you can check out, uh, tastings, things like that, a little bit later in the podcast. So we're going to also answer your Twitter questions uh, a little bit later. I put a call out and got a bunch of great questions, uh, all very topical. So... Um, as you'd expect. So we'll get to those. First of all, though, Mary Kay, let's talk about this Browns team because unfortunately we didn't have time to do a post-game podcast um, on Sunday. Uh, the game went into overtime. It was a four-hour game. I mean, that was a big 12 game if ever there was one. Uh, you had to go catch a red eye. I was traveling on Monday, so we haven't had a chance to look back on the game. Um, but you you know, you know, wrote a column about Baker Mayfield uh, off of that game and then what, what some folks were talking about on Monday uh, about how essentially – he changes everything for this team. Yeah, he does. He gives everyone the feeling that they can win any game. And you know what? Not only do the Browns feel that way, the offense, the defense, the coaches, not only do they have this new sort of vibe that they can win any game, I think opponents are looking at the Browns as a team that can possibly beat them if they're not careful. And I'm sure that the Ravens feel that way heading into this football game. Uh, you know, we even talked to John Harbaugh on the conference call today, and he raved about Baker Mayfield. Uh, Brett Favre, who Baker Mayfield loves, raved about mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield today. Uh, so I think there is this sense, and we saw it in that game, there is that sense that there's never say die because you've got Baker, he's a winner, he can make things happen bring you back and give you a chance to win this football game. Yeah, and, you know, the thing about that that, that I kind of look at is you go back to the Jets game when he debuted. Um, he really there, – there was – he had to bring them back, right? And I thought in the fourth quarter there was this moment where the Jets came back and they took the lead. And we've seen Browns teams in the past. And this offense, too, the way it was playing before Baker came in, you had to wonder if they had the ability to counterpunch. And they counterpunched, and they won that game. They scored a game-winning touchdown yep. against uh, Oakland. I don't think they trailed. I'm looking here at the game book right now. They did trail seven to nothing, um, but I don't think they trailed again until they actually lost the game. But 
No, they, Oakland they did. Kept, did they? Yeah, they trailed. They trailed in the oh, fourth Oh, they trailed, quarter. yeah, 31-28 and 34-28. Yeah. So they trailed in that game, uh, and they were able to come back and score. Yep. But even when you know they were in the lead and Oakland came back, the Browns were able to answer offensively. And a lot of that um, comes from having a dynamic offense that's led by a quarterback like Baker. Yeah, what happened was the um, – you know, the Raiders scored four straight times. They scored on four straight possessions. And like you said, that's one of those situations where everyone is just waiting to lose the game at that point. Mm-hmm. But not Baker Mayfield. He brought them back and threw that 59-yard pass to Antonio Callaway. Not just any Antonio Callaway, but the one who had struggled the entire yep. football game with drop passes, mental errors, slipping on the baseball grass, and all sorts of other things. And yet Baker Mayfield believed in him, went back to him, made a big play, and they went ahead again in that game. And then they went ahead again. So, you know, they do have this feeling now behind Baker Mayfield that anything is possible. And that's just something the Cleveland Browns have needed for forever. And the other thing, too, is this team, they turned the ball over four times, and they still went to overtime and should have won that game. This is a football team now that can overcome some adversity and can overcome mistakes, can overcome a bad refs call, right? You know, that spot on the Carlos Hyde play, mm-hmm. they didn't overcome it, but there was a chance that defense could have, you know, forced a turnover or something like that but with the way that they played. Um, this is a team that all of a sudden can withstand some errors because you can't play perfect. Remember last year when Hugh Jackson was talking about playing perfect to win? Right. That's impossible. That doesn't happen in the NFL. That doesn't happen at any level of football. And this year, with this team so far, they don't have to play perfect to stay in a game and give themselves a chance to win. No, and when you think about it, when you really think about this, most of the time, that Hyde conversion is not getting reversed. Most of the time. I I think in any other stadium on that day or in Cleveland Brown Stadium or anywhere (laughs) else, I don't think that's getting reversed, okay? So, really, I think we should be talking about a victory here. I really do. I don't think it was indisputable evidence. And not only do I think that and most of the Browns think that, even I think some of the Raiders think that, (laughs) um, but former head of officiating Dean Blandino thought that too. Well, if it's good enough for him... It's good enough for me. He was the guy making those decisions a year ago. Yeah, they did not need to turn that over. So, you know, you're talking about what should have been a victory here, really. So I think that, you know, these guys head into this game feeling like they really do. They feel like they should be 4-0 right now. They feel like uh, they are nowhere near a 1-2-1 and football team. And I think they have every reason to believe that they can beat the Ravens on Sunday. Yeah. Now, one of the key reasons that they are a 1-2-1 and football – I'm sorry, a 1-2-1 what are they? One, two, and one. one two, a one, two, and one football team is the special teams. We're going to get to that when we get into our Twitter questions. We're going to start with right now, and the first one comes from Jeff Lloyd. Uh, he asks about Nick Chubb because he has obviously been a big topic. Three carries, uh, over 100 yards, two scores, a 63-yard run, a 41-yard run. Uh, really was dynamic on those three carries. And the question here is, will Nick Chubb see 10 carries? I think we're going to see, start seeing a lot more of Nick Chubb over the next month, two months, the rest of the season. And I actually, in uh, a post I put up yesterday, I did kind of three predictions, sort of based on nothing, just three things that I could maybe see happening. And one of the things I predicted is that Nick Chubb, I think, will you know, catch up to or overtake Carlos Hyde at some point. I, I think that's probably going to happen. I don't know for sure. Hugh Jackson 
reiterated today that Carlos Hyde is his starter, but that they need to get Chubb more carries. Yeah, and you know, and I think you will see that. I mean, he has stated that that's going to happen. Uh, so I think that's good. I think it's warranted. Now, the other thing that you have to consider is, uh, you know, was there just a little bit of an element of surprise there with Nick Chubb? Did, you know, did something, you know, was there just enough of a change up there that, you know, that it was that different? I, you know, I don't know. Or did he hit the holes differently? Did he see something that, that Carlos may not have seen on those runs? You know, I don't know. We'll have to see, you know, does his average hold up? if he gets more runs down in and down out. And so far, the evidence says, yes, he will be successful if you put the ball in his hands more times. Yeah, and and the thing I really liked, and I'm going to do a a story kind of breaking down his second touchdown run. And the reason I picked that one over the first one uh, is because he almost got brought down in the backfield on that play, and then he broke a bunch of tackles and turned it into a big play. And I think that's the kind of thing that makes me feel like if he gets more opportunities and can continue to do that, that's going to get him more and more carries and catch him up to Carlos Hyde more quickly. Yeah, and if and Hugh Jackson really complimented uh, those two runs and really raved about uh, what he did on those runs. These were not just like Isaiah Crowell last year when me, you, Hugh Jackson, <laughs> and the rest of the media room could have run uh, for that long run that Isaiah got. This was Nick Chubb making something happen on that touchdown. Yeah, that first one. That first one was a little bit like that run. There was a good hole by the offensive line, but then he turned on the Jets. Mm -hmm. I think it was the 11th fastest ball carrier of the season on that play. So he absolutely turned on the Jets on that run. A couple questions here about wide receivers. Uh, The first one comes from a Twitter name, Irish Champagne. Does scaling back Callaway's workload, which you wrote about Mm -hmm. uh, yesterday, I believe, does scaling back Callaway's workload mean more snaps for Rod Streeter, who got five snaps on Sunday? Mm -hmm. Uh, Should Damian Ratley or even Damari Scott, who's on the practice squad right now, so I'm going to replace that name with Derek Willies, uh, get reps over Streeter? Well, you know, they're going to find some combination, some way uh, to take a little bit of the heat off of Antonio Callaway. Dial him back just a little bit uh, because... They are finding out that if they're putting too much on his plate, it's the law of diminishing returns, and they don't want that. But then he'll come out and he'll catch that 59-yard pass that uh, you know that helped them get back or stay in the game. So they have to find the balance there between giving him enough to do uh, and not overwhelming him right now. And, and I think he is a little bit overwhelmed at times. Remember, he sat out all of football last year. He's young. He's a rookie. And, uh, you know, he just he might need a little time. He's inconsistent. I asked Baker Mayfield about that today, and he just said, you know, he keeps needing to work with him. They need to work together in practice, after practice, on the sidelines. I think Baker is going to be really good for him. Baker knows he needs a talent like Antonio Callaway, and I think Baker has that in him. He's got a little bit of that motivator, that little bit of that teacher in him, and he can keep Antonio's head in the game to be able to come back from all the things that went wrong with him in that game, and there were plenty, to come back and make that 59-yard catch, which was huge. Okay, Bearded Browns fan brings up, um, I, this was actually another one of my predictions uh, in my post yesterday on the first quarter of the season. Do you think John Dorsey makes a trade at wide receiver to get Baker Mayfield some more help? One of my predictions was that, you know, the, this next stretch of four games leads right up to the trade deadline, and we know John Dorsey's not going to stop looking. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if they did make a move to bring in a wide receiver. Now, I don't know who's going to be available. Um, you know, obviously that's, that's the responsible. Who are they going to get? You know what? I don't know. I haven't done a lot of research on it, to be completely honest with you, but I do know that the GM here is not going to stop looking for help. And it does worry me a little bit that 
your top three receivers, uh, Landry, Callaway, and Higgins, you're leaning very heavily uh, on those three guys. Rod Streeter's a little bit of a flyer. We'll see what happens there. But, you know, it wouldn't hurt to try and bring in somebody else some some way, somehow. Well, it was funny when you, when you made that prediction because as I was leaving the game the other night and saw what they had gone through in that game where they had a lot of drop passes, where Antonio Callaway struggled from the beginning almost until the end, and when Jarvis Landry caught only four of his ten targets, it just wasn't a, a real good wide receiver day at all. Not not in terms of them. I just mean just the whole thing. You know, Baker and the receivers, they just it just wasn't going well. Now he was hitting some of them with some really nice passes and they were dropping them. You know, is the ball coming in too fast? I mean, who knows? Hugh says no way on that. But um but then we even hear Jarvis Landry last week say, Yeah, I do have to adjust to the speed of the ball. Um but I agree with you. I think they need to find another receiver somewhere. I think they do. And I, I have felt that from the moment Josh Gordon walked out the door that they had to find another receiver. I wouldn't have even cared if they brought Des Bryant in. I, you know, I would have been totally fine with that uh, because I think they need someone else. You can't expect Antonio Callaway to be Josh Gordon. He's no. not going to be that. He's very young. He's very raw. And, you know, I just don't think that he is uh, super polished yet as, as, a, as a mature person, a professional, or any of those things that he needs to be. He's a work in progress. Yeah. They knew he was going to be a work in progress when they brought him here. And so he's not somebody that you can count on for 70% of the snaps every game. And that is what he played in this game. And I think they now recognize that they can't do that. So do you go out and you find somebody else? I would look for somebody else. Now, there's not a whole bunch of great receivers sitting around uh, just waiting to be plucked off the tree. So I don't know who you're going to get unless you do, you know, bring in a Des Bryant or you find somebody like that. I don't know if there's anybody else on a roster that somebody would be willing to part with. Um, Once again, if they're that good, are you going to trade them? I I don't know. I mean, they might have to kind of make do with what they have. Uh, they might have to see if Damian Ratley can grow up really quick. I liked a lot of what I saw in Damian Ratley in training camp. I was very impressed with him. There's something, uh, let's use the word polished again, there's something polished about him. He looks like he runs nice routes. He catches the football. He's very, very confident. Have you talked to him very much, Dan? Uh, I have not, but I talked to him um, during one of the, the group sessions in training camp and that's how he came off. This was a confident yeah. guy. He's a very, very confident young man. And, you know, when you, usually when you're that confident, you know, you kind of have a little bit of a reason to be. And I'd like to see a little bit more of him. I, I don't know if they will or not. He's been inactive for, I think, three games this season uh, so far. So he hasn't gotten his opportunity yet. But uh, it, it could be coming. Or maybe they'll go with the more experienced guy in Rod Streeter. But... Uh, I would like to see a little bit of Damian Ratley, see what he can do. Uh, Now, uh, there were a bunch of questions, of course, about special teams. And actually, as we're recording, this one comes in um, asking, uh, this is from Just Dave saying, is there any concern in Berea over the ridiculously poor special teams? Well, yes. And judging by the responses we got from fans when I put the call out for questions, there is a lot of concern among fans, and rightfully so. Uh, And what a lot of people were asking essentially was, what is Hugh Jackson going to do to fix the special teams. And he talked about that today. He mm-hmm. basically laid out exactly what he wants to do, although he did take 
firing the special teams coordinator, Amos Jones, off the table. Yeah, well, you know what? Hugh Jackson has some experience in helping to coach, in coaching special teams. He did that in Cincinnati. He probably did it in other places, too. Um, but he is going to have to get more involved. He says he's going to get more involved everywhere. But the kicking games are one of the places that he's got to dive into as soon as possible. I also think he should give, and I wrote this the other day in my, uh, in my column, I also think he should give Josh Cripps a little bit more responsibility. Let him come up with... You mean like returning kicks? Well, that, you know what? Kicks. That would work. <laughs> Suit him up. Why not, Dan? Why not? I'm sure he would love it. But, um, but yeah, I think that, you know, give him an opportunity to see what he can scheme up or dial up. See if he can come up with some suggestions. Let him uh, see if he has any, any way that... Uh, they can try to get these kicking games to be something other than a liability in these games. I mean, they have already, they were hurt horribly in Oakland by special teams, including a 49-yard punt return. They have lost two games already because of their kicker, which, of course, he's gone now. Greg Joseph has made four of his kicks, but three of those were in the 20s, okay? Three of those were in the 20s. Now, it's good that he's made them, but, you know, can he make the consistent 48-yarder, you know, when it comes down to that? We'll have to see about that. Uh, there's been some shanked punts. I mean, you name it. Now, Amos Jones, um, you know, he didn't have a, a phenomenally terrific reputation yeah. in, in Arizona. It doesn't necessarily mean that any of this is his fault at all. Hugh Jackson said he is supporting him and sticking with him. But they all have to put their heads together and figure out, do they need better personnel? Who can they get to return? I mean, do you know their punt return average is, I think, they're, they're 24th and 27th. Their punt return average is five yards a return. Five. They've got nothing out of their return. Five game. yards a return. Conversely, they're giving up 12.8 yards per punt return, and that's uh, fifth or sixth worst in the NFL. Same thing on kickoffs. They're way down at the bottom of the barrel in kickoff returns, and they're horrible in kickoff coverage. So just all across the board, special teams, it's inexcusable. There's enough talent on this football team to be good on special teams, and they have to figure it out. Uh, you know, Speaking of that return game, a, a couple of names that uh, some fans brought up, and I mentioned one to Hugh Jackson today, Duke Johnson, mm -hmm. who did it in Miami. Now, he had a chance a couple years ago and was okay mm -hmm. returning kicks. Right. Uh, he could be an option. Or, guy we talked about earlier, Nick Chubb. Mm -hmm. you know, we mentioned that speed on that play, the ability to break tackles. Uh, you know, I see on Twitter there are a number of Browns fans who are throwing his name out as a possible return man. Yeah, I mean, th those are all good ideas. What about even bring up Damari Scott from the uh, <laughs> from the practice squad? He did yeah. it. He did it in training camp. Uh, whatever the case may be, uh, they absolutely have to find uh, some candidates that can. Return the ball. Like you said, Duke Johnson, why not give it a shot? They're not, certainly not overworking him on offense this year. So uh, he has an opportunity to, to get some touches on special teams. Uh, anybody that that thinks they can return a kick ought to be raising their hand right now and, and pitching in and seeing what they can do because these guys are not getting it done. I mean, Jabril Peppers, his average, I, I don't have it in front of me right now, but it's like 4.3. Yeah, he just hasn't offered the return game spark. That you thought <clears throat> that I they know. wanted out of him. I know, and I, I'm surprised about that. Even some of the decision making has been a little bit questionable, right? Yeah, I mean, and there was that one weird kick on Sunday where it seemed like maybe he thought he was in the end zone, and yes. it, was, it was just sort of a bizarre, a bizarre moment. Right. So there have been some issues there. Uh, they need to get this corrected. I'm sure 
that a guy like Josh Cripps, who is a coaching intern with them this year, has got to be thinking, what is going on? You know, and and of course, uh, John Harbaugh coming from being a special teams yeah. coach himself, they always have good special teams. They understand the importance of special teams, and sometimes you just have to commit to it to make it good. Sometimes you might have to take some of your better personnel off of offense or defense and throw them onto teams and do whatever it takes to get this thing cranked up. A little trivia for you, Hugh Jackson, all the way back in 1990, at the age of 25, running backs and special teams coach at Cal State Fullerton. And then the following year, 1991, for the London Monarchs, running backs, wide receivers, and special teams. See, there you go. And so he has plenty of experience coaching special teams, including most recently yes. with the Cincinnati Bengals in, what, 2012? 2012? Um, it, it has him as the secondary coach in 2012, but I, I want to say that was also the year when he did some special teams. I think it was, teams, too. Um, because that was kind of when Marvin Lewis threw him that life raft, as he exactly. likes to talk about. And exactly. he took... Uh, you took the job that he could get after uh, yes. after being fired in Oakland. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break, and there's a couple uh, a couple more questions after this. But first of all, why does Sibling Revelry Brewery sponsor us? Because they have Ohio football in their roots. They are based in Westlake, founded by Mike and Burt Kennedy, who played college football. Mike at Kent State. Or at Bowling Green, and they aren't like one of these huge breweries. They're all about quality. Uh, you can try their IPA, Pale Ale. Uh, they have a red, thir- uh, Pale Ale, a red, a third wheel Belgian triple blood brewed Hefeweizen. I think I said that right for all those people out there that like to correct me about that, and all you Better Call Saul fans as well. <laughs> um, anyway, they're available all over Ohio, including Heinen's and Giant Eagle stores. Uh, they've got samplings coming up on October 5th at the Wine Cellars in Columbus. So for those of uh, those of our listeners in Columbus, you can check them out there. Uh, Giant Eagle in Cuyahoga Falls down by my neck of the woods. That's on October 12th from 4 to 6. Uh, the other one, just to give you a time on that, was 4 to 7 at the one in Columbus. Um, and then a, a Heinen's... A Heinen's Sampling in Chagrin Falls, 4 to 6. That is on October 19th, if you want to taste some of their beers. And how about this? A pumpkin carving. This is the one non-sampling I left on the list. A pumpkin carving on October 25th from 4 to 10 p.m. Bring your family and friends uh, to this event at the Sibling Revelry Tap Room. That's in Westlake. Uh, it's Bring Your Own Pumpkin. They'll provide the tools. Get in the spirit of all things spooky and enjoy a sibling re- sibling revelry brewery brew while you whittle away at your favorite orange gourds. Better you to say that than me, Dan. Yeah, I, I made that through that. Yeah, I'll give myself a B minus. That was pretty good. All right, so sibling revelry guys, thanks for uh, thanks for sponsoring us, and certainly go check them out uh, if you're near their uh, near their brewery in uh, Westlake. And one of these days, Dan, maybe. We should have some sibling revelry brew right here with us when we, we do the podcast, and we'll see if it gets better and better as the podcast goes along. Right. Although I think they would frown upon that if we're sitting here in their luxurious TV studio <laughs> just pounding a sibling revelry. But, you know, it's worth a shot. You never know. Okay. Um, quick question here because we get back to the Twitter questions. What's the earliest we can see Terrence Mitchell back? He's got to be out wait, eight weeks. Yep. Uh, so the middle of December. Is when he would come back. I believe I'd have to look at the schedule. I wrote it. I'll do that here in a second. Uh, after I ask you this, we're going to talk a little 2019 draft. Oh my! Not God. really, Damn. because neither of us are actually ready to talk about the 2019 <laughs> draft. But is there a position in general, you know, without necessarily knowing for sure where this draft is going to be strongest and weakest, where this team could target uh, that you think this team should target in the draft? 
You know what is really interesting about that? There was a point in time where I thought it was going to have to be left tackle. But I will tell you something. I think Desmond Harrison has come in and surprised a lot of people. A lot of people. Uh, He's getting really good reviews from former left tackles, such as Doug Deacon and Joe Thomas. He's extremely athletic. Now, again, he's a work in progress. But Desmond Harrison, we all have, I think we should, would all be able to admit, it's pretty remarkable that he has been able to step in and, and really play well at left tackle. Now, having said that, he, of course, is going to be going up against savvy veteran, sack master <laughs> Terrell Suggs this weekend, yeah. and that's going to be a really, really difficult challenge for him. But I would have said left tackle targeted in, in the draft next year, but now I don't think they're going to have to do that. You hope not. You hope they found a guy. And by the way, December 9th is the first game that Terrence Mitchell could be back. That would be him missing eight games. That would be against the Panthers uh, at home at First Energy Stadium. He would be able to play in the final four games um, if he's on schedule and able to come back. He can start practicing two weeks before that. So I would say, getting back to your draft question, that if they are picking somewhere, let's say, where are they going to be picking in the draft this year, Dan? What do you think? Twelve. If you're at 12, which I don't 100% disagree with that, if you're at 12, I'd almost think that you might have to start looking at a receiver. Yeah. If there's a really good X or number one receiver or some kind of really good receiver, you might have to go down that road. Although although the only thing that would give me pause there is... um... Corey Coleman? (laughs) <laughs> well, there's that. Yeah, and really a lot of receivers early in the draft that haven't worked exactly. in, in the first round. Right. But, you know, John Dorsey has a knack for kind of finding the receivers. type of receiver he likes late, later. later in the draft. You know, think of Tyree Kill, yeah. Antonio Callaway. And there's a certain type of receiver he likes. Uh, he likes those fast, uh, quick twitch guys uh, who, who can cause matchup problems. And you can find those guys outside of the first round sometimes. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, receiver's got to be a priority. Yeah, it, it's one, It's something that you, you would want to look at. There's not all that many positions left on the team anymore where you're just like, oh, they are completely bereft. Yeah, you're of trying to add that second level or that next guy up right. when somebody gets too expensive. That, right. That's sort of where you're trying to go. Um, or, you know, look, they could maybe target some veterans on the roster yeah. and, and try and draft a replacement. DB is, some, is, a, is an area where they brought up, obviously, they used a very high pick on a defensive back right. this year. So I don't know if they would do that again. But, look, you can never have too many DBs right. in, in the NFL nowadays. And speaking of Terrence Mitchell, I do think it is a huge blow uh, that he is lost for at least the next eight weeks because we saw this starting back in training camp. He was ripping the ball out of receivers' hands forcing turnovers, causing fumbles, all the way through training camp. I mean, he was taking it literally attack that football. He was doing it. And um, I remember saying in a video, like really early on, Terrence Mitchell is coming to take the ball away from you, so you better be ready. And he he consistently did that. He had two forced fumbles, one recovery, one interception in less than – Four games. It was three ga- you know, three and a half games, really. I, I interviewed him for a story I did on turnovers, and he literally said to me over and over, his answer to almost every question, get the ball. Yeah. And then I would ask him a different question, and his answer would, get the ball. Yes. Get, and then I asked him, do you think some guys have a nose for the football, or is it luck? And he said, oh, some guys just have a nose for it. Basically, some guys have a nose for it. And I said, like you? 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's how he ball. views himself. You know who else has a nose for the football in the same way? And, and actually, Denzel Ward is starting to show that he does too. But Demarius Randall is the same way. Yeah. Demarius Randall, you know what? I, I, and I really like him at free safety. He played cornerback for the Packers, and he's playing injured right now. He's playing with a very badly bruised heel, so he's basically out there on one foot. But he also has a nose for the football, and I think that he was a great addition to this team. And this is where you give some credit to the front office. Yeah. Because they looked at the scheme, Yeah. and instead of trying to get a player that maybe doesn't fit the scheme, maybe doesn't go with what Greg Williams runs, they said, look, Greg Williams is the defensive coordinator. This is what he wants to do. Let's go get a guy that can do what he wants to do. So no matter what you think of that angel safety and playing him 30 yards off the line sometimes, which we haven't seen as much this year, we're still seeing it a lot. Right. Um, they went and got a guy that really fits what Greg Williams wants to do with that position to a T. Right. And you know what, Dan? I think that is where the beauty of having experienced talent evaluators in your front office comes in. I don't care what anybody says. You have to have people that know what they're looking at, that know how to build a roster, that know what they're doing in that regard, that know what talent is, how to acquire it, where to put it, how to use it, and all of those things. Um, Two more questions we're going to get to. Uh, This one is about Miles Garrett. And speaking of Greg Williams, um, who blitzes a ton. Now, now this person sent a tweet that said uh, the Browns have the highest blitz percentage for any team in the league. I don't know if, if... you know, I'm taking their word for that. I do know the percentage is going to be high. I kind of looked around to see if I could find that anywhere in Football Outsiders or whatever. I couldn't find an actual number. But we know Greg blitzes a lot. Uh, and he wants to know if that defensive scheme is maybe limiting the impact of Miles Garrett. I don't think it is. I think we're seeing Miles Garrett impact the game a ton, regardless of scheme or anything else. I think we're seeing him impact the football game a ton. I think the one thing to watch with Garrett is just how much he's on the field. Yes, so you're right about that, and that's another thing. I, I actually am planning on doing certain things that I think need to happen, and one of the things that I think needs to happen with this football team is do not be playing Miles Garrett 98% of the snaps because with his history of foot and ankle injuries, and I don't know what's going on, but he's been wearing a little sleeve on that knee all the way since back in training camp. I'm sure everything's fine. I'm sure it's nothing. (laughs) But why risk it? You don't need to have him keep him fresh. Don't have him on the field 98% of the snaps. Now, granted, you're getting more production out of him this way. He's already got four and a half sacks, um, so that's terrific. But you want to keep that going, and you want to have him here throughout the entire season. And I think in order to do that, you've got to get him off the field a little bit. And they've got a full complement of defenders right now. I think you can uh, get him out of there a little bit, keep him fresh, uh, and and don't risk an injury for him. As far as whether or not blitzing a lot is limiting Garrett, I think what's limiting Garrett uh, is the extra attention that he's drawing from the other team. They know they have to double-team. They know they have to give extra attention to Miles Garrett. So he is getting that extra attention, whether it's getting chipped by a tight end or whatever the case may be. He's drawing that. And, you know, the good part about it is that opens things up for other guys like Larry Ogunjobi, Emmanuel Agba, Jamie Collins, whatnot. Um, but, you know, that's something that he's going to have to continue to fight through. Uh, okay, so our last question. This is more of a fun one, um, but a couple of people – sent this in uh because look one of the things we've talked about over the years up until this year is the quarterbacks the browns could have had because Mm -hmm. when you don't have a quarterback 
you need to get a quarterback. And when they pass on quarterbacks, the pe- the previous regime, of course, we've gone through that list over and over again. Regimes before that, we've gone through those lists over and over again. So Pat Mahomes obviously is playing very well in Kansas City. He was picked at number 10. Yep. Um, the Chiefs traded ahead of – honestly, they probably traded ahead of the Browns. Oh, yeah, him. they did. Um, no so, question. So he could have ended up as a Cleveland Brown. Oh, yeah, I think he um, would have. I think if he had been there at number 12, I think they would have taken him. So – the question here is how long until people start freaking out about the Browns should have taken Mahomes over Miles Garrett, uh, and then they bring up Julio Jones, all this stuff. Uh, and then the other question, or it's more a statement, the Browns could have moved up, drafted Mahomes like Casey did, and had him and Garrett. And the reason I included these questions yeah. isn't to go back and, and reassess that draft, yeah. but to basically say, we don't really have to worry about that right now. Yeah. Like, the Browns drafted the quarterback that they wanted this year at number one overall. I think you and I both feel optimistic about him right now. Right. Um, Pat Mahomes is playing incredible. And by the way, I was completely wrong about Pat Mahomes. <laughs> I did not like him coming out of Texas Tech. I thought that he was kind of a product of throwing the ball just a ton. I thought he was going to come to the NFL and throw a million interceptions. So I was dead wrong about Patrick Mahomes. He's a ton of fun to watch. We're going to get to see him in Cleveland in a few weeks. Yep. Um but the nice thing about having, hopefully, having your guy now at number one and having your franchise quarterback is that you don't have to look back at Pat Mahomes and say, oh, the Browns could have had him. Yeah. Oh, the Browns could have had Carson Wentz or whatever. Hopefully, Baker Mayfield can erase a lot of those mistakes that the previous front offices have made in passing on quarterbacks. Well, you know, I think uh, one thing to feel good about when you look at the whole Pat Mahomes thing uh, is that the guy who at least helped draft him yeah. in Kansas City is the same guy, John Dorsey, who drafted Baker Mayfield. And he was so confident about Baker Mayfield. I knew when I talked to him at the Senior Bowl, and he just defended, defended Baker Mayfield uh, from his behavior and the crotch grab and the flag plant and all that kind of stuff. I knew he liked it because his face almost turned red when I was asking him about sort of the off-the-field stuff. He was so uh, adamantly defensive of of Baker but he's the same guy that was at least in with Andrew Reid on drafting Pat Mahomes so you have to feel good about that and from all by all accounts right now everyone seems so excited you know within this organization outside of this organization Brett Favre Drew Brees you know anybody that you talk to that Baker Mayfield is the guy and that the Browns have solved their quarterback problem. Even John Gruden said it after the game the other day. And, you know, we didn't hear that about Deshaun Kaiser last year. We didn't hear that about Cody Kessler. People weren't saying, oh, my God, the Browns have solved their quarterback problem finally. But you are hearing that about Baker Mayfield. But you're right, the the bar is set high. The bar is set high. The bar is Pat Mahomes right now. And he is lighting it up and tearing it up. And come on, Baker, game on. Let's see what you got. Yeah, and... You know, Pat Mahomes all of a sudden looks like he has a chance. It's only been four games. Right. You know, five starts uh, going back to last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he continues on this tra- trajectory, he'll, he could be a generational type of quarterback. Right. We'll see if Baker Mayfield can, can be that good. But it does seem, at the very least, based on what we've seen from training camp, the games, the little bit that we've seen of Mayfield now, it seems like at the very least his floor is a guy that can go out there and win you NFL football games and give you a chance to win each and every week. And that's that's pretty good. Yeah, and if Miles Garrett turns And he out- has a chance to be special, too. I don't want yes. to rule out that he can't be special. I'm just saying right. the worst he could be, it seems, right. is a guy that can win you some games. Right, and, and what, you, what we don't know yet is 
how are genius defensive coordinators going to start to defend some yeah. of these guys? You know, you got to dig into their film. You've got to get a bunch of eyes on it. You got to get the smartest minds in the NFL really dissecting these guys' film. Sometimes it takes a bye week to have the time to actually sit down and figure out how you're going to defend someone. Um, so that will come with time when we will really know. In the final analysis, we don't know yet. We don't even know how this class is going to turn out. We have no idea yet. It seems like uh, like Baker Mayfield has a chance to be the best quarterback coming out of this class. Uh, that's what it looks like at the outset. But we really don't even know that yet. Uh, but, yeah, the, the Pat Mahomes thing is going to be very interesting to watch over the next 10 years. Yeah. Um, okay, so that'll do it for our Orange and Brown Talk podcast brought to you by Sibling Revelry Brewing. Um, and thanks again, everyone, for sending in all of your questions. It was great. It gave us a bunch of great topics to talk about. Uh, again, I apologize we couldn't get one after the game on Sunday. We'll do better this week because we'll be at home. We'll have a little more time. Nobody's going to rush to try and catch a red-eye flight and catch the BART train to the airport or anything like that. So uh, we'll be able to get one of these up. And we'll probably try and get you another one this week as well because um, we want you guys to have as many of these as, uh, as we can get to you. So Absolutely. for Mary Kay, this is Dan Lobby. Thanks for listening, everybody.